Hi, everybody. I have some exciting news. I am launching a Substack. I know. I keep telling you how I'm not a writer, and I'm still not a writer, but I am going to be writing about reading over on Substack. The Substack is called Unstacked, and you can find it at tracythomas.substack.com. There will be free options every Friday. There'll be a bunch of weekly roundups, announcements, all the shit I'm into. And then if you want to upgrade yourself to the paid subscription, I'm going to have author interviews, bonus episodes, anticipated reads, book pairings, community chats, all sorts of stuff. So, If that sounds like something you'd be into, go to tracythomas.substack.com and join Unstacked. And of course, I've got a special offer for you. If you go to tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10, you get 10% off your first year membership of Unstacked. You have from now until April 4th to redeem. Again, that's tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10 for 10% off Unstacked. Okay, that's enough. Let's listen to this episode. Welcome to The Stacks, a podcast about books and the people who read them. I'm your host, Tracy Thomas, and today I am beyond excited and honored to welcome to The Stacks the one and only Stacey Abrams. Stacey Abrams is the former minority leader of the Georgia House of Representatives. Stacey is also a highly esteemed politician, lawyer, activist, and author. She just re-released her 2001 novel, The Art of Desire, which is written under her pen name, Selena Montgomery. The Art of Desire is a suspense thriller romance novel centered around a lovely but jaded maid of honor as she faces fresh temptations and imminent danger. It was such an honor to talk with Stacey Abrams about pen names, romance audiences, and the ways that she feels her work as an author has made her a better politician. Don't forget our September book club pick is Monsters, A Fan's Dilemma by Claire Dieterer, which we will discuss with Brittany Luce on September 27th. Everything we talk about on today's episode of The Stacks can be found in the link in the show notes. If you like what you hear today and you want more of it, join The Stacks Pack at patreon.com slash the stacks. It's just $5 a month and it supports this black woman-run independent podcast. And when you join, you get a bunch of perks like our Discord channel, which is a total joy, bonus episodes, including audio from our tour stops, and our monthly book club meetup, which is full of hot takes and observant insights. So if you love The Stacks, join the Stacks Pack because without folks like you, there is no way that I could make this podcast every single week. To join, head to patreon.com slash the stacks. And here's a shout out to our newest members of the Stacks Pack, Holly Barker, Kathleen Flaherty, Carla Benton, Christine Enders, and Trinae Voris. Thank you all so much for joining the Stacks Pack and thank you to the entire Stacks Pack for being wonderful bookish humans. Okay, now it is time for my conversation with Stacey Abrams. All right, everyone. I am beyond thrilled to welcome our guest today. It is Stacey Abrams. You may know her as a politician. You may know her as a author. You may know her from her work in voter registration. You may know her from a million things, honestly. Stacey, welcome to the Stacks. Tracy, thank you for having me. 
I know we have a little rhyming name moment going here, uh, which I love. Um, for people who don't know your brand new book, uh, well, I guess it's a it's a relaunch of a book from 2001. It's called The Art of Desire. You're relaunching it. It was originally published in your pen name, Selena Montgomery. It is now in both of your names. But for people who don't know anything about the book, in about 30 seconds, will you just tell us a little bit about it? So The Art of Desire is the story of Alex Walton, who is trying to figure out what to do with herself. She's got a few different divergent interests and is a bit confused about the direction her life is going to take when she runs into the best man at the wedding where she will be made of honor. Uh, he is trying to reset his life after a little bit of a detour when he was held captive. And so they find themselves caught up in intrigue and passion and romance. And it's one of the most fun books I ever got a chance to write. I love it. Okay. So I guess that's where I want to start. Why re-release this book and why re-release this book now? I was very privileged in the early 2000s to be one of the first Black women published in romantic suspense. Uh, I was published first through Kensington and then through Arabesque, which eventually became Harlequin. But those first three books went out of print. Berkeley came to me a few years ago and said, we'd love to release these titles again, these first three novels that you wrote, Rules of Engagement, The Art of Desire, and Power of Persuasion. Rules of Engagement was released last year, and that was the very first novel I wrote. And in that book, I met Alex Walton, who was the best friend of the main character. And it turns out Alex was so fun and so interesting. <laughs> she deserved her own book. And so she meets and falls in love with, uh, with Philip. The reason for re-releasing it with both names is that at the time when I first started writing, I was writing romantic suspense and tax policy. Okay. No one wakes up thinking, I can't wait to read a romance novel by Alan Greenspan. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you, can oh publish, <laughs> you can publish romance under a pseudonym. It's hard to publish tax policy under any name other than your own. And so Selena Montgomery was born. I've always been very open and excited about being a romance novelist, but it was easier for branding purposes to have those two separate names. And now, you know, luckily I've reached a place in my life where everything gets to come together. And so Selena and Stacy are one. I, I love that. Do you miss sort of like the anonymity? Because I remember when, you know, when you really hit like the national stage public with your politics and people were like, she also writes romance novels and everyone being like, wait, what? It's the same person. Like, do you miss any of that pre pre Selena and Stacy coming together or, or are you glad to be sort of out of the pen name closet in the sense? I've always been very open about writing romance because I think it is a fantastic way to connect with readers to tell fun, interesting, complicated stories, but to do so in a way that feels accessible. And that's how mm -hmm. I think about my politics. Uh, my right. politics is about talking about things like tax policy or uh, the complicated narratives around environmental action, but to do it in a way that people find accessible. And so for me, it's always been that I am Selena and Stacy. It's nice to have everyone else in on the story. Okay. <laughs> How did you name Selena? I'm always so curious how people come up with their pen names. So I was sitting at home. It was about two in the morning. 
my publisher needed my pen name. Uh, we discussed the fact that I, I had these two identities at the time, and this is just at the advent of Google. And so I had to think about what name would I want? And I was being very uh, presumptive and assuming I'd have to sign it. And mm. I was watching an a biography of Elizabeth Montgomery, who played Samantha on Bewitched. And I loved Samantha. I loved Bewitched. And so, and, and Elizabeth Montgomery did one of my favorite episodes of Twilight Zone. So I was like, oh, Montgomery. And then if you remember, her evil cousin on Bewitched was Serena. I didn't like my R's, but I really liked my L's. So Serena mm. became Selena and I became Selena <laughs> Montgomery. I love this. It's also two o'clock <laughs> in the morning and I was watching TV. So these things are all of a piece. <laughs> do you, but are you happy with the name or do you think if you did, did it at like four in the afternoon, it would be something different? <laughs> I think she became who she needed to be. It, okay. it, it was perfect. <laughs> and do you think of Selena Montgomery as someone different from you? Like, do you, th- I, I know in the introduction to this art of the art of desire, you have sort of this, um, you know, it's like a page and a half and you sort of say like, so happy for you to come with, with us as in you and Selena. So I'm wondering like how you think of her maybe separate from you. Well, for 20 years, she was a standalone part of my life. People who mm-hmm. knew my romance knew Selena Montgomery. They didn't really know who Stacey Abrams was or care that much. And mm-hmm. people who knew Stacey Abrams didn't necessarily always know about romance. But as a as an avid romance reader, we get very connected to our authors. Mm-hmm. And we follow what they write and we will buy it religiously. And so for me, it was important that I protect Selena Montgomery's brand and her, her ethos in writing. And I hear myself as I say this, like she's a different person. But <laughs> for me, it, it it's always been that what Selena Montgomery writes is about romance and excitement and adventure and action that Stacey Abrams gets to, you know, play a part. And that now, because both facets of my life have been able to merge, people get to see that. But I don't miss her because right. she's always here. And I we'll hear from some fans that she's missing a book. Uh, There's a third book in a trilogy that I started right before my political career really started to take on more heft. And so Mm -hmm. I owe them a third book in a trilogy and I promise I'm going to get it done. You're going to get it done. Okay. That's a promise. (laughs) I was just going to ask, I was like, and when is it coming? (laughs) Um, so uh, as I'm hearing you talk about, you know, Stacey and Selena, I'm sort of hearing like these two different, you know, parts of you sort of this maybe, the creative side, sort of the adventurous side, and then maybe the more like pragmatic or practical side, you know, coming from this tax background and sort of like, you know, no one wants to read a book from Alan Greens, a romance novel from Alan Greenspan, that kind of thing. Do you feel like you, is it, I guess, as since I'm a creative person, I sometimes think about like how, it, how I can create. And is it easier for you do you feel like to create as Selena because it's this place that you've created for yourself that is based in making or, or do you feel like you have that creative freedom as well as Stacy? I've always been incredibly privileged to have the flexibility to be all of the things. Mm. I, I went to performing arts high school. I was okay. in the traditional part of the high school, but my younger sister wanted to audition and didn't want to go by herself. So I went with her. And it turns out I could act a little bit. And so I was acting and doing lighting design for theater at the same time I was, you know, becoming valedictorian of my high school. And in my mind, those were completely aligned. 
I was right. writing for the poetry magazine. And, and you know, in high school, you're lots of different things. Right. I've just, I've always refused to let that go. Mm. I, I've never seen the justification for putting aside my creative side in favor of my more pragmatic side. And in fact, I find them mutually reinforcing. I am mm -hmm. a better politician because I spend time thinking about how people live their lives and those very quotidian moments of how do you meet someone? How do you find a relationship? How do you navigate thorny questions or just the fact that they're irritating you right now? And <laughs> I'm a better mm. writer because I get to explore all of these different worldviews that normally you may not encounter. I, mm -hmm. I'm a good entrepreneur because I try things that make no sense and I <laughs> dive into spaces I'm not supposed to be in. And so, you know, my first novel was about a chemical physicist who falls in love and, you know, has to you know, navigate an evil, you know, terrorist organization and her best friend discovers an obelisk that could have the secrets to the universe. And so for me, it's always been that I've given myself permission and was given permission to be all of those things at once. I, I tease my mother that she said once to me, I think it was on 14 or 15, she said, you don't want to be a jack of all trades and a master of none. What she meant was pick something or two things and sort of focus. What I heard was try everything. Mm. <laughs> so, you know, much to her chagrin, maybe she's gotten over it now. I heard that to say, if you're going to do it, if you're going to try these different pieces of yourself, if you're going to explore, just make sure you commit to it. Don't be a dilettante who dabbles. If you're going to do it, go all in. And that for me is what Selena does. That's what Stacy does. And that's what we do together. Yeah, I love that so much. It's a very both and sort of answer, right? I, I was a theater major, so I just have to know what were some of the favorite roles you played in high school? So I did a, my favorite one was a play called Dolls that was about teenage angst and how we sort of find ourselves. Uh, I did lighting design for The Boyfriend, which was so much fun to, mm. to actually, if it's a musical a lot of folks haven't seen. And then uh, did Oliver, which, you know, of course. to this day, Classic. you break into a song and you hear people use throwaway lines from it and suddenly you're in a Cockney accent that is completely inappropriate. <laughs> <laughs> I could definitely relate to that. Um, okay, I want to talk a little bit about the book. Did you feel like any desire to update the book at all or to change things? Or were there parts of the book when you went back and revisited that felt like cringe all these years later or that you thought held up surprisingly well? I think it held up surprisingly well. It's a bit of an evergreen story. Yeah. In, in its way. I mean, She's the bride, she's maid of honor. She's going to pick up the groom, the best man. They have a moment of passion that neither of them expect, but they're also dealing with their own stuff. And what I love about writing romance is making sure that each character is their own person. Mm. I, I, I sort of push back against the narrative that these are two incomplete people who become complete together. To right. my mind, it should be you are a whole and complete person complicated, broken, and have some problems, but you're still your own person. And that the person you fall for makes you a better version of yourself. And that for me was is evergreen. And the way I wrote The Art of Desire 20 years ago, I mean, I had to update the, the use of a landline to a cell phone, but <laughs> there's some anachronisms in there. 
But by and large, the story remains. It was a story about politics and how fraught our politics are. It's a story about trying to find yourself, which never goes out of style. And it was a conversation about how do you bend who you are, not to make yourself ready for someone else, but to be able to be with someone and navigate their issues, be a partner to who they are. And those themes for me really resonate. And, and that's a sign to me of, of a solid writing uh, exercise. When the timing of the writing doesn't matter because mm. the story remains. And that's why we, we go to stories years later and go back and pick them up because if the writer has done her job, it doesn't matter when we are because the story remains constant for us. Right. Yeah. No, that's true. And I mean, we, so many of us revisit books that are, that feel of a time and place, like dated in some ways, and then also not in others. Like there's a part in your book where Philip goes to pick up, you know, Alex from the airport as a favor and he goes right to the gate. And I was like, yeah, when did this book come out again? I'm like, I remember that barely, but I do remember that like clearly. And I, and I was like, oh, this book came out at the end of 2001. And so that means that when you wrote it, that was a thing we still did. Yeah. Uh, which I just was like, you know, it's like, it's sort of almost like an Easter egg for the audience when exactly. you go back to revisit something. Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should be at least simple. That's why for the last three plus years, I have been drinking AG1 every day, no exceptions. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day, and it makes me feel nourished and strong enough to tackle whatever else might come my way. That's because each serving of AG1 delivers my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and a lot more. It's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. The nutritional insurance that AG1 provides has been vital to keeping me productive and focused. It helps me cover my bases in just about the time it takes to fill a glass of water, scoop in one scoop of AG1, and then drink it. So I don't know, 75 seconds? With the perfect mix of vitamins, probiotics, and nutrients from Whole Foods, I'm not stuck trying to assemble it all by myself, which would have considerably worse results. AG1 saves me all the time and hassle, and it has made such a difference in my overall mood and especially my gut health, among many other things. But don't take my word for it. Go ahead and try AG1. Let me know what you think. Whether you notice you're needing more nutrient support than you're used to, or you just need an edge for a tough workout, AG1 can be the ticket. If there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1, and that's why I've partnered with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash the stacks. That's drinkag1.com slash the stacks. Check it out. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. 
Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. How do you feel like romance has changed? Romance writing has changed over the last 22 years. What have you seen as a lover of the genre, as a reader, and also as a creator in the genre? When I started writing, romantic suspense, especially by Black writers, was not a given. It was a, mm. I was at the beginning of that becoming a true approach for writers to take. I mean, in the early 2000s, late 99, you had Beverly Jenkins, you had Brenda Jackson, you had a handful of writers, but you could name all of them. And so one mm-hmm. fantastic thing is the plethora of writers who cut across demographic differences. Number two, there was a bit of pushback when I first started writing that I wasn't culturally specific enough, that I didn't write in the voice that was expected for a writer who had a Black character. And Mm. my mission was to tell stories that were not culturally specific based on someone else's notion of what that means, Mm -hmm. but that were universal and that we could be anything. And that's why Mm. I was so excited that Alex gets to have this very normal concern of, can I be an artist? Can I be a writer? What can I be? And that, that it wasn't, she wasn't relegated to one corner of the universe because of what the cover said. And that to me is such a leap, especially for romance, romance for a very long time. And it continues to, to grapple with how do we tell universal stories and trust that our audience can believe that a woman can be anything, that a community can do anything. And I think that's the best part about 22 years later. It's still a conversation we're having, but it's Mm -hmm. not a conversation we're starting. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. It's so true. How do you, speaking of the cover, how did you think about bringing this cover to 2023? Because it's different. It's a totally different look. And the original cover, they're both on it. On this one, it's just Alex. Well, he's in it, but it's not like a lover's embrace. Um, so I'm wondering what the thinking was about that, if you were involved in that process at all. I lean on the publisher. They gave okay. me a few <laughs> options, and that was the one that caught my eye. But I, I think that there is an accessibility that comes when the cover says, you know, pick me up, read me, and then decide if you're going to dive in. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, When I first started writing, there was a group of men who read my books. They called themselves the brown paper bag club because the, my very first novel, the guy got sick, his wife gave it to him to read. And he was like, I don't read that stuff. And then he read it and he was like, oh my God, this is good. And then he started sharing it with his friends, but he wanted to rip the cover off because he couldn't hand this book to someone else. Mm. And his wife told him, don't you dare. And so he put the book in a brown paper bag and he passed it around to his friends who read my novels. And they would send me notes about, and give them feedback. And so I think this is for the brown paper bag club. They can pick up the book and they don't have to worry about any assumptions being made or cast or, you know, they, they, whatever, you know, machismo may stop them from picking up the book. This Mm -hmm. gives them the freedom to do so. Although I think, you know, 
the brown paper bag still remains one of my favorite stories. I love that. It's incredible. I feel like there, there's been such a shift in romance novels towards these like kind of cartoon style covers for a similar reason, I think, like that there's this like, I don't know, embarrassment about reading a book that's easily identified as romance, which, you know, I think is sort of silly, but I also understand. Um we all get embarrassed about so many different things that I think can be silly, including things I get embarrassed about. So, you know, but I do think that the brown, the brown paper bag story is fantastic. And I feel like maybe you need to just make a book that looks like a brown paper bag. There you go. <laughs> it's, like, it's like Sharpie on a paper bag looking cover. Um, do you feel like becoming a national figure in politics has changed how you think about yourself as an author or as a storyteller? My hope is that every experience deepens and broadens how I approach my work. And as a writer, it exposes me to other constructs and different thinking, but it doesn't change the core of how I write, which is that I want to tell stories that are complicated and yet fun. I I love exploring parts of my personality or the personality I wish I had. Uh, but also, <laughs> I get to dive into industries and histories that I didn't have. Mm. And so each time I write, I get a chance to explore a world I may not get to live in, but for the time I'm writing and every time I open the book, I get to visit again. And that's how I think about the world. I, I want to explore. I want to be curious. I want to solve problems. I want to do good. And whether it's in my writing or in my thinking or in my work in public service or even as an entrepreneur, it's how do I bring those pieces with me? But Selena Montgomery was the first time I got to publicly do that. When you write a novel, you, I, you know, I just finished at Yale Law School. Most of my colleagues did not leave our, our time at Yale writing romance. I mean, yes, you had a lot of lawyers who wanted to- Did anybody? No, no, I was the only one I knew. (laughs) Everyone else, you know, people talked about becoming John Grisham or doing something Mm. else. I was, I I became a romance novelist because my initial instinct of writing a spy novel was pushed back by the, the industry. But I wanted to tell my story. I wanted the very first story to have life. And so I adapted. I, you know, killed all the same people I planned to kill. I made, I made my, my characters fall in love. And because of that, my first you know, rules of engagement became a book. And then because of that book, I got to meet Alex and Philip. And because of that, I wrote another one and another one. And eight novels later, I had built this universe. And it was because I let myself challenge tropes and push back against what I was supposed to be. And that I, I wasn't embarrassed. I mean, people presume that, as I said earlier, the pseudonym had nothing to do with embarrassment or chagrin. It was about branding and making sure that the people who were, were going to be the natural audience could find me and wanted to be there with me. And now I'm just excited that because of the re-release, I get to bring new people into the fold. 
Yeah, that's me. I'm a new person in the fold. Welcome. <laughs> Happy to be here. I love it here. I'm sort of new-ish to romance since I started doing the podcast. And I've learned so much from so many of my listeners who are like avid romance readers about the rules and about, you know, what does a, what is happily ever after really mean? And like, is this a true romance? Is this not? And I, and I'm, I love it. I love getting to be in a new space with new rules and new ideas and just like, like a subculture, right? Like I, it's fun to be invited in. And so I've really enjoyed kind of trying to take on romance and thinking about it and and experiencing it and, you know, pushing my preconceived notions to the side and being like, this is fun or or this isn't fun. Like, I don't like this one. And that's okay too. You know, it just, I, I, I like it here. So I'm new, but I'm enjoying it. Well, I'm glad. I mean, part of, part of the joy of romance, and I, I learned very early on, I would always describe myself as romantic suspense. Because yes. for traditional romance, I my my novels lean fairly heavily on action, and mm-hmm. I was I was chastised early on that I yes I was I've not, learned about this from yes, romance readers. Yes, they have I, strong opinions about yes. this stuff. So I am always clear. I write romantic suspense, uh, as one of my editors said. She's like, you, "Can you make sure they like each other by the end?" I'm like, of course they like each other. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> But but it was for me, it was writing the the romance being absolutely core to the story. But there are different styles. My younger sister, who's also an avid romance reader, she and I have different romance romantic archetypes that we like. She is right. much more traditional romance. I'm much more romantic suspense. She's she's Bridgerton and I'm, you know, she's Julia Quinn and I'm Nora Roberts. And so, you know, we it's the fun thing is that we can swap novels and swap stories. You know, she's Brenda Jackson and I'm Beverly Jenkins or vice versa. And we get to be all of those things with one another in the same genre, in the same field with the same authentic love for Mm. the writing. Yeah. I love that. Okay. Let's talk about the writing. Yes. How do you like to write? How many hours a day? How often? Where are you? Music or no? This part's important. Snacks or beverages? Rituals? Candles? Like set the scene. How do you do it? Where do you do it? So when I wrote uh, The Art of Desire, I was already practicing law. I was in a two-bedroom apartment that I shared with my older sister and we could not afford much. So I turned the little mini dining room area into my workstation. So I had a table. I listened to um, this beautiful guitar music by a composer named Nick Thompson, who has gone on to do amazing things in writing, and he's a journalist now. But he had this fantastic CD. And so I would listen to his music and write. I'm a very methodical writer. So I, you know, I start out with my synopsis. I then do my storyboard. And I lay out on, I still do this to this day, on note cards, sort of here, here's each chapter. I, because I'm often doing 12 other things, I don't set a time or a date, but what I do, I figure out, here's what I need to get done. And so I will carve out the time it takes to do that note card, to do that chapter. And then I get through it all. I come back. And as I write, I have, so my sister, the other romance novel, she edits all of my romance novels. So she would get these books, you know, she'd get these chapters. I don't do as many iterations as I think some writers do because I'm pretty careful when I write. Mm -hmm. And I don't share it with a lot of people because I think at a certain point, if it's too communal, you're no longer Mm -hmm. writing it. You're you're just curating. And so for me, I have a very singular point of view. 
I make sure I've hit the pieces I need to hit. I send it to my editor and I wait for them to tell me whether I suck or not. <laughs> what about snacks and beverages? <laughs> okay. So I, I do water or tea. Uh, that's what kind it. of tea? English breakfast tea. Although right. I, so I've expanded out. I will now do, I like black teas. I'm not a green tea person. I'm a black tea girl too. Do you do sugar and milk in it? I do sugar. I will do milk okay. if I'm doing if I'm doing a really bitter tea. Okay. Uh, so if I'm doing an Earl Grey or a yes. really strong black tea, I'll, I'll add milk. But most of the time, it's just sugar, me, and a cup of tea. Love it. Love it. What's a word you can never spell correctly on the first try? There aren't many because... I, Are you I, a fantastic speller? I wrote I wrote a children's book about it. Yes, I actually did spelling bees when I was little, and oh yeah, I, I love words. So, wow, I'm, I'm, we hate this for us. Okay, we like a bad speller <laughs> around here. It's not it's not going to be popular with the audience. I'm just letting you know. Just to know that I had a traumatic experience in my youth that led me to okay. you know a rather you know manic you know maniacal commitment to spelling right. So okay, we will it, forgive you if you've had a trauma an, it, around it. It's an origin story. Okay, okay, we will forgive this. Okay. Um, I ask this to everybody, and I know this is really charged for someone like you, but what comes next? I will always be in multiple spaces. I am incredibly privileged to be a writer who I, I have, you know, the art of desires being re-released, and I thank Berkeley for seeing enough in my stories to tell this one again. And I just had a legal thriller come out. I've got a children's book that's coming out uh, next year. And so for me, writing is always a piece. But I'm also an entrepreneur. So I'm doing some work with small businesses. I'm working on helping people electrify because climate action is necessary and climate change is real. And we mm -hmm. have a chance to, if not turn the tide, then at least stem it. And I'm excited to be working with Rewiring America. And then, yes, I will be involved in politics for the rest of my life. It's not my focus right now, although I'm very excited about some work that I'm doing there. And we've got this little election coming up in 24, <laughs> and I'll probably you know, try to make sure, I will definitely try to make sure that my guy gets reelected. But I don't know when I will run again. I probably will. Uh, in fact, I, I certainly will run, stand for office again, but it's not the focus for me right now. And I'm grateful that I can tell these stories. I've got a production company, so I can turn some of them into television and movies when the strike hopefully is resolved in favor of the writers and the actors who deserve to be taken seriously and be able to make a living with what they love. And as a writer who went from making $2,500 for my very first book to being paid a lot more now, <laughs> Good. I, I, I can appreciate just how important it is that your life's passion, that your creative art is given not only credibility, but value. And so mm -hmm. I, I'm just excited about the fact that I don't have to choose. And Stacy and Selena get to you know go into the sunset together. I love this. Okay, last one. If you could have one person dead or alive read this book, who would you want it to be? I mean, my favorite romance novelist is Nora Roberts. And so... Mm -hmm. She's always going to be the person who, in my mind, if she likes it, I'm golden. Oh, I love that so much. Stacey, thank you so much for being here. Everyone, you can get The Art of Desire 
wherever you get your books. As Stacey mentioned, she's got a lot of other books too. So if you've already read that one, there's others for you out in the world. There's thrillers, there's romantic suspense, there's children's books. So there's a memoir, right? There's a yeah, memoir. They can go to StaceyAbrams.com yeah. or StaceyAbramsCreates.com and learn all about all of my sites. Yeah. And we'll link to everything in the show notes. And Stacey, thank you for being here. Tracy, this has been a delight. I appreciate your time. Thank you. And everyone else, we will see you in the stacks. All right, y'all, that does it for us today. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you again to Stacey Abrams for joining the show. I'd also like to thank Tina Joel for helping to make this conversation possible. Remember, the Stacks Book Club pick for September is Monsters, A Fan's Dilemma by Claire Dieterer, which we will be discussing on Wednesday, September 27th with Brittany Luce. If you love the show and you want inside access to it, head to patreon.com slash the stacks and join the Stacks Pack. Make sure you're subscribed to the Stacks wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you're listening through Apple Podcasts or Spotify, leave us a rating and a review. For more from the Stacks, you can follow us on social media. We're at the Stacks Pod on Instagram, TikTok, and Threads, and we're at the Stacks Pod underscore on Twitter. And of course, check out our website, thestackspodcast.com. This episode of The Stacks was edited by Christian Duenas with production assistance from Lauren Tyree. Our graphic designer is Robin McCrite, and our theme music is from Tagirajis. The Stacks is created and produced by me, Tracy Thomas. 